Awesome. Um, back in the 1950s, there was a man named George Buttrick. Uh, he was the chaplain at Harvard um, University. And uh, occasionally this guy would have students, because he was obviously uh, one of the most well-known believers, Christians on campus, he would occasionally would have a, uh, a skeptical or just a flat-out doubter come, a student come and plop down on the couch in his office and just flat-out say, I don't believe in God. Kind of like is this challenge to, to, to this guy. And Buttrick would give this reply, well, why don't you sit down and tell me what kind of God you don't believe in. I probably don't believe in that God either. And there are a lot of misconceptions in the world around who God is and around what he's like. And I would say um, that here in our nation, there are, are, are some uh, that are more popular than others. Some of the popular misconceptions are that God is just this grumpy, angry old man, man who's just sitting up there um, in heaven waiting for us to mess up so that he can put us in timeout. Um, another misconception is that God is just aloof. He is uncaring. He is, again, he's up there in his cozy little castle, and he's just looking down here at the broken mess of humanity, and he's not really doing anything about it. He doesn't really care. He, he just doesn't want to have to deal with all the mess. Another misconception is that God is this cosmic killjoy, that he is just out there to take away your fun. He's lifeless. He's boring. I mean, after all, again, he's up there. Then he's stuck in heaven with just clouds and and, and these little tiny cherubim playing harp music all day long, having no fun whatsoever. And so if we're having any fun, he just, he wants to put a stop to that as soon as possible. But a lot of these misconceptions that we have have to do with God being distant. He's out there, far off. And if you find yourself not believing in God, like some of these students that this, this chaplain had, had to uh, just face, if you find yourself not believing in God, there's a pretty good chance that your misconceptions about who God is, your, your wrong ideas about God, there's a good chance that they're, they're getting in the way. And the best way to understand and to know who God is is to look deeply into who Jesus is. Why? Because Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is, is, is God Almighty. And if you want to know God, know Jesus. Jesus put it like this. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, he said, you will know the Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. If you want to know God, if you want to know the Father, know Jesus. And last week, we, uh, we started this brand new series where we're just, we're really looking at who Jesus is and pushing aside the misconceptions and um, just kind of digging into, okay, who is Jesus? Not the sanitized version that religion makes him out to be. Not the angry, uncaring, or joyless version that the world has made him out to be. No, we're wanting to get right down into who, who Jesus really is. And my prayer this week has been, Jesus, I want you, the real you, I want to know who you are. Jesus, I want to follow the real you. Jesus, I want to imitate the real you. God, that's, that's what I want. And, you know, if you really want to know who someone is, a great place to start is, is it helps to know where they come from. You know, if you want to know, okay, why, why does Rich, why does he drive around that old, 
truck? Why doesn't Rich drive a Prius or a Civic or you know, something like that? Why the heck does he drive that old truck that just guzzles gas all the time? It, it helps to know where I come from. Where do I come from? Well, I come from rural Canada. Um, I, I grew up in, in small towns. And in Canada, small trucks as well as big trucks, as you've seen in the news the last week, are important. They matter a lot. They're a big deal. My dad actually drove, um, I think I've told you before, he drove this really old GMC. Uh, this was back in the 80s, and it was a 1950s GMC truck that's totally rusted out. If you were going around a corner sharp, you had to, someone had to hold the door and would go flying open. It's amazing that one of me or my two brothers didn't die, but, but we just knew in small town rural Canada that if you wanted to hunt, if you wanted to fish, if you wanted to get firewood, if you wanted to go explore old logging roads way up in the mountains, if you wanted to do any of that stuff, those required a truck. You need to know where someone comes from if you really want to get to know that person. And what I want to do today is, is kind of get down to the humanity of Jesus. He, he was fully God, but he was also fully human. And I want to kind of help us understand who he is by looking at where he came from. I want to look into his hometown, his people, his culture, and just kind of see if we can peel away some of the misconceptions we have about him and get down to who he, he really is. And this morning we're going to be reading from the book of John, and I would love to have you follow along if you have a a hard copy of the Bible, or if you have a Bible app, we're going to be in John chapter 1, and verse 43. And in this text that we're reading this morning, Jesus has just taken a, taken a little road trip away from his hometown, and he has been visiting a town called Bethany, where he has just been baptized by his cousin John the Baptist. And uh, let's read what the Bible says. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Galilee is the region that Jesus grew up in. He's heading back home. The trip from Bethany to Galilee would have been about a four-day trip on foot. The Bible says when he got there, he ran across Philip and said, Come, follow me. Philip's hometown was Bethsaida, also in Galilee, the same uh, town as Andrew and Peter. Philip went and found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote of in the law, the one preached by the prophets. It's Jesus. Joseph's son, the one from Nazareth. Nathanael said, Nazareth, you've got to be kidding. But Philip said, come, see for yourself. And I don't know about you, but, but whenever I want to kind of do a little bit of a study on somebody and, and uh, get to know who they are and where they come from, uh, the first place that I always go is Wikipedia. And anybody else with me on that? You want to find something out about someone, you go to Wikipedia. Well, so I wandered over to Wikipedia this week, and I just thought, okay, I wonder if, if Wikipedia maybe has some interesting information on, on Jesus. You know, Wikipedia, whenever they do a biography, they always have this little section called early life. So I thought, okay, what can we find out about the early life of Jesus from Wikipedia? And so I went over there, and first thing that, that I noticed on the, the Jesus Wikipedia page was the picture of Jesus. And we talked a little bit last week about some of these pictures of Jesus out there that just in themselves are a massive misconception of Jesus. This picture was Jesus. Um, he had this like big like bowl of uh, brown hair. It parted perfectly down the middle and this massive halo behind him. And his eyes were very interesting. 
his, uh, I think it was his left eye, was the eye of someone that was just like in a daydream, just kind of gazing off in the space. The other eye was the eye, like both eyes looked very different. The other eye was, was like someone that just hadn't slept in weeks and was, was just like worn out. And then his, his, his uh, left arm, he's cradling the biggest Bible that you've ever seen in your life. As if Jesus, like, before he starts his ministry, he goes on to Amazon, he finds the biggest Bible, and buys it, so people can see just how holy he is. And in his other hand, he has his, his hand out like he's getting ready to bless. It's the, I guess it's the, the blessing pose or something like that. And this Jesus wasn't somebody that was very relatable. He was distant, far off, untouchable. But on Wikipedia, information on his background and early life is very, very scarce. There's just not much there. And even in the Bible, it, there, there's not a lot there on the early life of Jesus. Not a whole lot given in his background. However, there's more given than you realize when you read between the lines of history than we've been led to believe there is. And I just want to give you a, a few things about Jesus that are important to know. So this morning is going to kind of have two sort of parts— there, there's, there's preaching and then there's teaching. And uh, this morning is going to be like half teaching. We're going to go just dig in. Who, who is Jesus? And it, it, it might even feel a little bit like a history class. So sorry, students. You're going to have history class this morning. But, and then the last part, we're going we're to bring it home and look at what this means um, for us. And so let me just give you a few things about Jesus that are important to know that, that where he came from that will help us understand a little bit more about him. Number one, he was Jewish. He was born and raised in ancient Israel, um, known as Palestine at the time. In fact, the very first verse of the New Testament, you go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and it points this out. It begins like this with these words. It says, the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, who? The son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham, of course, was the father of the Jewish nation. David maybe the most revered person um, uh, in, in, the, uh, in, in the Jewish nation. And we see signs of Jesus' Jewishness throughout the Gospels. He was circumcised at eight days old. When he was 12, we see his family attending a Jewish festival um, that was a several-day trip uh, from, from their home. Jesus worshiped in the Jewish synagogue. He was Jewish. One, one German theologian um, pointed out that if Jesus had lived in Germany during the 1930s, he would have had a yellow star attached to him and eventually been sent to a concentration camp. He was Jewish, and a lot of times we just we overlook that about, about Jesus. We'll come back to that in a second. A second thing is this. Um, not only was he Jewish, but he was raised in ancient Palestine. Ancient Palestine, which again, it's the, it's the modern-day Israel— um, it's on the shores of the, the, the eastern shores of the Mediterranean Sea. It was the region. Uh, it existed under the shadow of the Caesar at the time, Caesar Augustus. And it was under the shadow of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was the most advanced society, most powerful society of the day. It was an empire that had the finest architecture, the finest culture, uh, the 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 poets and the painters and the merchant. Pax Romana was the decree, which meant peace and protection for everybody that was under the domain, the reign of, of the Roman Empire. 
And people were, were proud to be a part of the nation with the most powerful military, the most influential culture, the greatest technological achievements of that day. They were proud to be a part of the Roman Empire, except for one little nation. That's the nation of Palestine. They, the people that, that Jesus grew up with, they lived their lives with, with their beliefs and their customs in a way that was the polar opposite of the Romans. This created constant headaches for, for Rome. And, and what they were just, there, there was constant death and destruction in Palestine because of how polar opposite this little nation was from the nation of, of Rome. In fact, historians uh, agree that in the years leading up to Jesus, so just before Jesus was born, that in Palestine, no fewer than 150,000 Palestinian men died in battle against the Romans during just war. Historian William Barclay, he said that there was no more explosive in the world than Palestine. Its Jewish citizens wanted the Romans out, and their greatest hope for seeing this happen rested on a man that they believed would one day rise up and be their Messiah. It would be difficult to overstate just how important the word Messiah is, even to the state of the Jewish people. Um, they believed that he would restore the nation of Israel back to its former days, the days of King David. The Messiah would be a person who would conquer their enemies and just would usher in peace. The prophet Isaiah actually wrote a prayer that, that really captured the anticipation that the Israelites had um, over the Messiah. He wrote in Isaiah 64, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains would tremble before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. And so they were constantly on the lookout for the Messiah, constantly looking for, for him to rise up. They were quick to follow anybody that, that would go to battle and appear to be this Messiah. And then one day... Jesus shows up on the scene, and like we read in our text, there, there were those like Philip who believed that Jesus was the one that Moses wrote about. He believed that, that Jesus was the Messiah, only he didn't look like the guy they were expecting. He doesn't show up as a king riding on the back of a white horse with thousands upon thousands of, of angels following him in his army. No, instead, this is the third thing about Jesus— he is a carpenter from a tiny Galilean village called Nazareth. You know, even in ancient Israel, back in that day among the Jewish people, this, this Galilean area got very little respect. It was the province that was the furthest from Jerusalem. So down here you have Jerusalem, and it's kind of in the heart of ancient Israel. And then way up here you've got You've got the region of Galilee and the Sea of Galilee and around Galilee. There's all these, these little towns. And it was just kind of considered backwater. It was, it, was, it was a constant fodder for ethnic jokes. Um, the Galilean people, they spoke with this accent. Um, even we see this in Scripture. We see Peter just before the, the, the Passion Week, and, and he's, he's out there at the fire, and he's given away as a follower of Jesus by his accent. And Peter, of course, denies that. But here's Galilee, and it's this backwater town. And in Galilee is a very small village called Nazareth. Nazareth is 
so insignificant back in the day that when the Jewish people wrote the Talmud, in the Talmud, there are 63 towns, villages in the Galilean region mentioned, but Nazareth doesn't even make the list. It's that insignificant. Its reputation was a reputation of just kind of being this useless backwater, good-for-nothing village, and it's captured, that, that reputation, by Nathaniel's reaction to this news about Jesus. What does he say when Peter, or when, when Philip comes up to him? He says, Nazareth, you have to be kidding. Or as other translations put it, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Jesus is just, it just, he's, it seems like he's just too ordinary. It's Nazareth. Jesus has, he has four brothers. He has an unknown num number of sisters. Jesus, who was literally born in a barn, he's He's raised under a cloud of scandal. It's, it's clear that he was conceived before his parents were married, which in that day was just this big, massive social taboo. And like many small-town families, Jesus is he's raised in poverty. And we know this because when his family went to dedicate him in the temple, they didn't come and offer the usual sacrificial lamb. No, they offered the, the, the sacrifice that, that families in poverty would offer to birds. And his stepdad, Joseph, is a carpenter. And as Jesus grows up, he would have learned the, the family trade of building boats and tables and doors and tools for farming. You know, it's interesting. Jesus—think about this for a second. He's the only person in all of history who gets to decide when and where he's going to be born. The only person. And, and his choice— He's born to a poor, God-fearing Jewish family in the backwater village of Nazareth in a nation which was under the oppressive pagan Roman Empire. He didn't choose a castle in ancient Rome. He didn't choose ancient Egypt or Babylon with all of its glorious palaces. He didn't choose modern-day America with all of our technological advances where he could have had the benefits of social media and TV and all that kind of stuff. He didn't do that. He, he chose Nazareth to grow up in this, this backwater area called Galilee. And all this reveals a, a, a couple things about, about Jesus. And let me just give you a couple things. First, first thing that it reveals is this. It reveals that he's a God who understands you. He's a God who understands you. you mean, especially in the, the past few years, like ancient Palestine, our nation has been under a, a, a period of significant social and political upheaval. Jesus has been there. He knows. He knows what it's like. Do you come from a family or a culture or maybe a, an ethnic background that's on the receiving end of discrimination and prejudice? Jesus knows about it. He's been there. Have you felt the, the burden of toiling away day after day after day in a job that's just, at the end of the day, it's hard work? Jesus has been there. He knows what it's like. Do you come from humble beginnings? Maybe a family that was looked down on by other families that, have, that appeared to have more together than your family. Maybe you were born into poverty. Maybe you know what it's like to be hungry or to come from a, a backwater village that most people have never heard of. Jesus knows. He's been there. And not only is he familiar with what it's like to grow up in a specific culture and to grow up in a specific society, he's very familiar with what it's like to be human. 
He knows what it's like to be weary at the end of a long day. He knows what it's like to be tempted to, to sin and disobey. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows the, the pain of grief and loss. He knows what it's like to be lonely. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be discouraged. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows the joy of good friends being part of something that matters. He understands you. You know, maybe it's the fact that that I, I, I'm a dude that grew up in an obscure little village of literally 600 people in the middle of nowhere in Canada, um, surrounded by fishermen and loggers. But, but I just love that there's, that there's something about Jesus where he not only attracted the wealthy of society, you know, you got people like Matthew the tax collector who would have been very wealthy. You've got Luke the doctor. He not only attracted those people, but there's something about the way that he attracted these rugged, calloused hand fishermen that I just really like. The Jesus of the Bible, he's not this distant, aloof God holding a massive Bible, waving a blessing over lowly people that are beneath him. Uh, no, he's a real down-to-earth dude from a village called Nazareth. Listen to what, what Scripture says about him. It says, now that we know what we have, this is in Hebrews, Jesus, this great high priest with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. And if you stop right there with this verse and you don't read the rest of this verse, you go, oh, that sounds a little intimidating. Like, great high priest, that, that sounds like this guy. That, that sounds like the, the guy with the big Bible waving his hand. But then you read on here in, in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, and the next verse says, we don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's not some monk who lived his whole life up in the mountains in some monastery. He's not some rich pr prince who grew up with a silver spoon. No, he grew up in a regular old village to a regular old family where he had a regular old job. Furthermore, Scripture says he's been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. I love that about Jesus. He understands you. He understands us. Which leads to the next thing that Jesus back and reveals. Not only does he understand you, he's a God who's very near to you. He's a God who's very near to you. In the story that we read earlier, where, where Philip goes up to his buddy Nathaniel and says, Hey, listen, we found Jesus. The guy's the Messiah. He's the one the prophets have foretold. He's Joseph's son from Nazareth. You know, I think if I'd been Nathaniel when Philip came up to me in that situation, I would have had the exact same reaction <laughs> that Nathaniel had. You've got to be kidding. You've got to be kidding, Philip. You know, just imagine for a second that next week as you're, you're there doing your thing this, this week and maybe you're at home and maybe you're at work or whatever and maybe you're having coffee with somebody and that somebody that's sitting across the table from you says, hey, Jesus has come back. God Almighty, He's here. He's going to establish a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to fix all that's broken in the world. He's going to fix all that's wrong in the world. It's going to be peace on earth, glory to God in the highest. And by the way, He's 
Jim's son, yeah, Jim who lives in Sumas, uh, where in Sumas, you know, the low-income housing part, 4th Street, whatever, you'd be going, you've got to be kidding me. No way. That's funny. That's hilarious. You know, if a guy from Sumas shows up claiming to be the Messiah right now, you might want to keep an eye on this guy over here. But on the other hand, if that person really is the Messiah, if he's God with us, doesn't that just go to show that he really is with us? I mean, that's pretty near, isn't it? And and again, I love this about Jesus. He's so close to us. He's so near to us. Even in our brokenness, even in our sin, even when we wander away from him, even when we flat out turn our back on him, he remains very, very near to us. And, you know, I this last week just got really convicted about this because I think in the church, and for myself, you know, we so often forget this about Jesus, and we actually live our lives polar opposite to how Jesus lived. Rather than live near people whose hearts are far from God, we tend to keep our distance. And I think most of the time it's probably unintentional, but we tend to keep our distance from people who are far from God. Um, this last week, uh, a couple of musicians in our church uh, who are both here, uh, Wendy and Eddie, um, uh, they just formed this classic rock band, Eddie and the Cruisers, right? Is that right? Eddie and the Cruisers? Yeah. And so last week, Becky and I were chatting with them after service, and they're like, hey, you should come check us out. We're playing this this week. Um, we're going to be at the Legion in uh, Birch Bay. And so I typically don't hang out at the Legion, and uh, it's kind of like if you've never been in a Legion before, it kind of feels like a bar or like a tavern, um, and, and uh, the biggest reason I don't hang out in that environment is because I just can't, I just, I don't have the kind of voice that carries good in that environment, and if you've ever been in that environment, you know what I'm talking about. Like, it's always loud, the music is blaring or whatever, which is awesome, but I have, nobody could hear me. Like, I, if I'm yelling at the top of my lungs, you're not going to hear me. You're just going to hear, yeah. that's what it's going to sound like, because I don't have a voice that carries well. Now, my wife, Becky, on the, the other hand, <laughs> she has the voice that carries very, very nicely in a loud environment. In fact, if you were at the basketball game last night, I don't know what, 1,500 people, 1,000, there's just a lot of people there. You know what I'm talking about. She has a voice. You heard Becky at the basketball game last night. Just saying. But, but here we are. We're at the, the, the Legion. And we went. We had this great time. The music was awesome. Eddie and the Cruisers just crushed it. Um, Becky even convinced me to get up and bust a couple dance moves with her. And, and by dancing, this is what I mean. Like a swing to a slow song. That's how I dance. Right there. <laughs> But as we're driving away, I just—it just came out of nowhere. But I just—I just sensed the gentle voice of Jesus saying, "Rich, you need to know something. If I were walking this earth today, I wouldn't be waiting, hoping that people far from me show up at a church service at 10:30 on a Sunday morning. I would be going there. I would be hanging out there. I would be getting near to people over there." And isn't this God's heart behind the the incarnation? He leaves heaven, and he sees the brokenness, the mess of humanity, and he leaves heaven, and he steps down, and he gets so near to us. 
But then Jesus, he shows that he's willing to move even closer. He sees a wealthy tax collector who nobody likes. They just see him as this guy that's just making their life difficult. Nobody likes him, especially the religious people. And what does Jesus do? He looks up in that tree and sees Zacchaeus, and he says, Zacchaeus, I am going to your house today. He doesn't just say, yeah, Zacchaeus, walking with you out here in the public square, but I'm going to actually keep a, a little bit of a distance. No, he says, Zacchaeus, I'm actually going to step into that place that, that's most sacred and, and intimate to you. I'm going to step into your home to be with you. And then as if that's not near enough, he comes to you and I when, when we call on his name in the midst of our guilt and our shame and says, I'm not just going to be within physical proximity of you, but when you call on my name, I'm actually going to come and live inside of you. I'm going to make my home in you. He's so, so near to us. Listen to what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. It says, this mystery has been kept in the dark for a long time, but now it's out in the open. God wanted everyone, not just Jews, to know this rich and glorious secret inside and out. Regardless of their background, regardless of the religious standing, the mystery in a nutshell is just this. Christ is in you. So therefore, you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. Christ is so near to you. And I don't know what it is that you need to hear this morning. You know, maybe, maybe what you need to hear is as you're, as you're going through life right now and there's just the struggle and it's just so hard and you just feel like nobody knows you, nobody really understands. You just maybe feel isolated. Maybe you've even tried to help people know and nobody just seems to quite understand. You need to know that God understands you. Whatever the struggle is, loneliness, rejection, maybe your job that you've just been going at day after day after day after day, and you're just, it's just so hard. He understands. He knows you. Maybe what you need to hear is that he's near you. You just feel all alone by yourself. You need to know that, that he is near you. He is near you. And what that means also is that he's, he's a God who longs for us to come near to him. He longs for us to come near to him. Isn't that the picture of Jesus on the cross and what happens, the veil of the temple, that, that separating veil that kept people from, from the, the very holy of holies, the presence of God. But the first thing, when it's finished, is that veil gets torn into. He longs for us to come near him. Be encouraged today. Be encouraged today. Wherever you're at, your God understands you. Your God is very very near to you. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, Jesus, I just love you so much. Lord, I cannot imagine, I can't imagine trying to get through life without you. Lord, I'm just so thankful for the way that you satisfy. I'm so thankful for the way that you bring life. Lord, I'm so thankful that, God, you're a constant hope. God, thank you, Lord, that we can go to you as an all-powerful God. Lord, whenever we're in a place, God, of just, God, being at the end, just needing you to help. Lord, I'm so thankful for the way, God, that you understand us. God, I thank you that, that you weren't a God that just 
swept in from heaven just with a white horse and angels and just made everything good in the snap. Lord, God, for whatever reason, God, you chose a different route. Born as a baby in a manger. God, raised in <laughs> backwater, redneck Galilee, Nazareth. God, grew up, God, in a regular family, regular job. God, you just, you understand us. You understand us. You're fully human, fully God. You understand us. And God, I just want to pray that this morning, Lord, for somebody here, God, that would just be such an encouragement to them, God, that it would just lift them up, that God, it would draw them deeper into you. And God, God, just make them want to pursue you and know you more. God, as a friend, God, as someone that just understands. And God, I just want to also thank you too today, God, that you are so near to us. God, I think one of the, the, the biggest lies that the enemy would try to sow in us, um, God, maybe, maybe that, that lie has been sown, Lord, when we screw up. God, we make a mistake. God, we fail. But the, the lie that, that he would want us to believe is that God is far from us, that God is disappointed with us, that God has upset at us, that God doesn't care about us. But the truth is, God, the truth is that you're so, so near to us. You're so near to us. God, I pray that, that today, God, that would bring hope to somebody who's just discouraged. God, that would bring hope to someone who's just feeling like the biggest failure ever. God, that would bring hope to somebody who's going, my mistake. Yeah, there's no way God would ever come near to me. God, I pray that th that would bring hope to them, that, that God, the truth of who you are and how close you are, that God, you're pursuing them. God, may that be what brings them life and sets them free. May be what sets them free. And God, I also want to pray, Jesus, for us, God, as your church, that, Jesus, we would live like you, that we would live like you, that, God, we be people, Lord, that don't live distant, God, from those who are far from you, that don't live our lives, God, aloof and uncaring, but that, God, we would be people, Lord, who who just live our lives, God, just immersed in culture, God, immersed in, um, God, our neighborhoods, God, immersed in our workplaces, immersed in our, in our schools, our classrooms. God, may we be people, God, that just are so near to those, God, who are far from you. And God, as we do that, God, may we be like that city on a hill, God, just shining so brightly, God, that people would see you in us and that, God, people would be drawn to you in us and that God you would you would bring God life and freedom and truth God as people are drawn to you in us God I just I'm so thankful for this time that we've had together today and God I pray Lord that Jesus as we leave here today that God you'd go before us God you'd empower us you would strengthen us God to be drawing near to you this week and God to be drawing near to others this week in your name, Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, amen, 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 amen. Awesome. It's been so good to be here with you today. And uh, I'm just going to invite you to stand and join us and sing this last song. You know, if you're here today and you need prayer for something, you're going through a, a hard time, listen, I encourage you, do not walk out of here until you've had some prayer. We're not going to have anybody at the front, but I'm going to be standing around. Um, you could probably find anybody here this morning and just tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, uh, going through something, would you mind?
But don't leave without getting prayer. If you're watching online, you can go to prayer.ctk.church, put in a prayer request there, and I promise you, you will have people that will, will be just storming the gates of heaven, praying that God works in your life. But don't leave without getting prayer. But as we sing this last song, let's lift it up to Jesus and just celebrate how glorious and beautiful He is. God bless.